Okay, so singularities can exist, so warping the space-time fabric enough to be able to, like, teleport is possible. If you... Welcome, Garrett, to the World XP Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. I think uh, Garrett is a renaissance man or something like that, because in his text to me, he said he can talk for days about religion, politics, real estate, businesses, health and fitness, free diving, spear fishing, and parallel universes, which obviously for this, for the purposes of this conversation is the most important thing, but welcome. It's good to have you. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I've said it before. This is awesome. And I'm excited to talk to you about it. I think it's cool what you're doing. So let's get into it. Yeah, man. So of course, it wouldn't be right if we didn't drive straight into parallel universes <laughs> or all the nutcases out there, including myself. But yeah. before we really jump into it, give sort of a – I feel like when people who aren't in the field of quantum physics, when they hear quantum physics, quantum mechanics, all that like particle accelerators, all that sort of stuff, yeah. lots of ideas pop into their heads – so real quick, so everyone has the context of what it actually is, give us sort of a, a background on kind of what it is, how it works for dummies, essentially. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been a while since I've, I've, I've had to do that. Uh, so as short as I can, physics, obviously, I mean, just assume people don't know anything about this sort of thing. So we'll start from scratch. Physics describes um, how the physical world works. So uh, if you want to know how uh, quickly the ball is going to fall to the ground, you know you had to uh, build a, a mathematical model to describe that, um, and then you keep going past that. Like, why does the apple fall off the tree? Newton came up with the theory of gravity. Their their math physics is is mathematical models that fits to describe um, phenomenon that we see in the real world, and um, uh, that was. I mean, you say pretty simple, but it took forever for us to actually get accurate models. But it's pretty simple when you're talking about kinematics and balls, cannons flying and things like that. Um, uh, actually, one quick side by story. So this, this is, this is, I still can't believe this, but like in the medieval world, um, before uh, we learned about gravity and stuff or, or had a good accurate model of gravity, um, there's actually like old physical records of how they thought cannonballs would fly. And they thought that they would like, you know, because they're basing it on their observations from like where they're standing or not a cannonball necessarily, but like a projectile, like a, a sure. trebuchet. Uh, and they, they actually have drawings like how they thought it would work. And it's like, they, they imagine that it, that it flew in like a straight line and all of a sudden just dropped straight down. And it's like how they actually believed it would work. It's just crazy to me how stupid we were. But anyways, so this stuff is pretty easy to understand for the most part. You could teach it to kids um, in high school and they understand all this stuff. But where it gets really hard is when you start talking about electrons and photons and things like that. So particle-like behavior. Um, and we started to get some weird observations where the traditional or what they call classical uh, physics or classical mechanics didn't really work. And it wasn't describing the behavior that they were seeing. Um, and so in like the 1940s is when um, they came up with, I think, so, so my history and my numbers might be a little off there, but, but around that time is when they came up with um, um, the quantum theory. And the idea is that um, it started off that light behaves uh, in discrete quanta. So a certain amount of energies that you can measure, like the smallest amount um, uh, is, is, is quantized and it's not uh, continuous anymore. So you can't just keep breaking down the smaller and smaller pieces. It's just like us, you know, you say, you know, as a kid, you're always fascinated. Like what's the smallest thing in the world? You'd say atoms. Okay. But then smaller than that, you got 
protons and neutrons and small and they get quarks and we're always fascinated with that like how small can you break things down and um you're always curious so the next question is well how far down does that rabbit hole go and um well the answer is it, it does stop it doesn't go in, in indefinitely and as far as uh, like photons are concerned and energy there's a, a finite amount and that's called quanta and that's where the whole word came from but um at that level quantum mechanics is a physical mathematical model that describes the behavior of those things at that level um and it's just really weird behavior it's not like stuff you'd think i mean that cannibal actually does go straight down like it's, it's weird stuff and there's tons of weird examples of different phenomenon and you know people are excited about like quantum entanglement and teleportation and things like that um and and that's that's where that sort of stuff can happen is down in the quantum realm and people want to always try and apply some sort of macroscopic like vision of that like einstein even had a problem with this he was walking with a good friend of his um uh, uh uh was it no it wasn't Bohr um uh, Pally Pally and so he's walking with this guy uh this is a scientist and mm-hmm. um they were they were um walking down the street and the moon was out and Einstein pointed at the moon and said like um uh do you really believe that the moon uh, only exists when you look at it because this is this this weird thing in quantum mechanics I can describe it in a second and uh it's it's even Einstein had a misconception about how quantum mechanics really worked that behavior is only evident down at the smaller level and once things become macroscopic that behavior doesn't doesn't exist anymore it it, it goes away and it's um because it just gets things can only behave that way in very special uh circumstances and so even as a kid like to tell you you can bang your head up against you know quantum mechanics was like a, a way to, to silly a silly way to describe like a they'd say you could bang your head up against a wall a million times and it's never going to go through. But if you do it a billion times, statistically, your head's going to go through. And it's just, it's just not really true. I mean, it's fun to say things like that, but it's just not true. Weirder things happen and that's the cool stuff, but it happens down at like a very small level. So mm. yeah. It's like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that, does that, does that, does that answer? Yeah, I, what I, is I, quantum mechanics? For me, it answers the question. Okay. Um, we won't know if it answers it for anybody else until <laughs> until we have everyone. Yeah, but that's all right. We'll focus um, on you. So you mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting. It was a misconception about like the microscopic level, and I mentioned this to you earlier. And I know you haven't seen the show, but in Flash, when he basically goes so fast that he can go back in time and create like a yeah. parallel universe, he becomes very small. So what where does that misconception come from, and how does it? jive with because you described it as the behavior of particles get diff, gets different as it gets down to that super small yeah. level and i think a similar thing happened in um ant-man so they get down into like that weird sort of yeah. realm so how does that so like it's a misconception but also when it comes down to the behavior at that size what where's sort of the disconnect there uh well I, I'd never heard about like that explanation with the um, is it Ant-Man or Flash or whatever it is, but it, I mean, it's pretty tricky. It was clever to say, well, it gets so small that things do behave oddly and you can uh, travel back in time and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're mixing a lot of things there, but I mean, it's clever and it's kind of hard to like refute stuff like that. Um, so maybe let me rephrase then. What, what is the misconception that you were talking about for the microscopic, like the way that that works? Yeah. So it's just that, so there's there's a couple things going on um there's wave particle duality which is wave particle duality is like this this is the thing where people say like 
things behave one way. Most people have heard this, I feel like. <laughs> Maybe not that, but, but when things behave one way, when you look at them, um, so, so this is an experiment, the dual slit experiment, and um, you got a wall with like two slits in it, two holes where particles can escape. And you're shooting like a beam of like photons or electrons. It doesn't matter, but some sort of particle it could even be atoms um, at this at this wall with these two slits. And um, if you if you just look at the screen on the back end where they're where they're actually hitting once they pass through the wall, um, it'll have a, a, a statistical distribution um, that looks like waves interfering with one another. And it's really strange because you're just even if you just fired like one photon at a time, this shouldn't happen photons can't interfere with each other in like different points in time. So that wouldn't make sense. Um, so you have to describe them as waves that are coming out. They're um, just, just small packets of waves, not actual particles. Mm -hmm. um, but then, so if someone said, okay, that's fine. But what if, but what if I looked at the slit and watched which slit one of the photons went through? Um, once you, once you do that, yeah, you, you'll see the, the photon at one specific slit or the other, not at both at the same time. Um, uh, but what you'll do is you'll 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 affect the what you see on the other end. It's no longer a statistical spread of waves. It's either one blop or the other, and that's it. So once they look for the photon, they disrupt the wave func the wave function. I'm gonna get crazy with you, but they they break down this this quantum behavior, and 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 it now behaves classically like a photon. Um, and so it's, it's this observation that kind of screws things up and transitions something from like this quantum realm to this classical realm. Um, and it's a, it's a weird thing that people still struggle with. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why does the act of observing it, um, affect this behavior? And we still don't have a good answer for that. This is, I mean, and a very attractive thing about quantum mechanics is you're dealing with stuff that we still don't even really can't make sense of. And we, and we can, we can say what happens. I can say that. If you look at it, you're going to see two blops. And if you don't look at it, you're going to see a, a spread. Um, but you can't say why that happens. And that's just a, a, a weird transition. And so it's hard for people, even Einstein, to make sense of, okay, well, how, how does this relate to something macroscopic like looking at the moon? Does it, does, is it the moon without looking at it? Or is it only the moon when I look at it? it, doesn't, it it's hard to translate. And that's where people get screwed up. And even the, the, the best physicists out there, I mean, like Richard Feynman says things like, um, yeah, he's, his famous quote is, Richard Feynman is one of the most famous American physicists of all time. And he's also a total badass. Um, and uh, he is quoted as saying, if someone claims to understand quantum mechanics, um, then it's, 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 it's something about like, they're the dumbest person on quantum mechanics in the room or something like that. You know, they obviously don't know anything about quantum mechanics. So the more you think you know about it, the less you actually do is kind of equipped that he had. But Obviously, it's it's only true in certain contexts, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense though, because if the more you understand, the less you understand, really, I guess if that it, makes it sense. screws you up. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. All right, this is weird. you mentioned two points in time. Let's do it. Parallel universes. What's going right. on? Do they exist? Is there another <laughs> version of both of us somewhere? The, the fun thing is, you can't. The 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 yeah, the reason why it's so fun and people like it is because we can't prove it wrong i can't disprove that there's parallel universes so it's 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 possible and uh i can't say that it does or doesn't until we have you know some sort of apparatus that can travel between them and create wormholes and things like that but until we can do that and rip the space and time fabric I mean, it's not going to happen you can't test it but i i think that this is this is probably the most interesting thing in like the science world like the where the debate lies and so i'll try to build it up because most people just hear parallel universes and think it's cool but 
but where does it come from? And it's even a little bit more interesting. So I, I kind of, I had this like um, uh, discovery as I was like going through, like trying to understand quantum mechanics. Um, and uh, what clicked with me was how quantum mechanics um, uh, gets rid of uh, deterministic uh, outcomes. So, and this gets into like a little bit of like religion. We won't go down this path, but you, you'll see the connection here in a second. So, so the phrase, everything happens for a reason, um, or, or everything that happens is meant to be, uh, is kind of like an interesting thing that people say. And I always kind of question that, like, is that true? Is everything determined? Um, you know, do we have free will? Things like that. Right, and right. quantum mechanics um, kind of uh, proves that that nothing is deterministic, that they're, they're, the free will could very well exist. And um, we aren't just robots carrying out a script, which is cool. So it gives everyone the freedom back. You know, you're now an autonomous being that can make your own decisions. And everybody wants to feel that way. I do want Sam to Harris think later. What, do, do you know who Sam Harris is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and his, his arguments on free will, it's, it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. still trying to wrap my head around it, to be honest. But um, uh, so in the, in the physical realm, uh, things behave statistically and not deterministically. Um, and so once I, and I, I started, so I came to this when I was like doing some modeling for like missile defense stuff. And we had like had a, a random number generator to create like random trajectories. And um, I had a, like a late night Friday debate kind of like this at the office trying to, to understand like what truly random meant, you know, flipping a coin, is that really random? Um, uh, I, if I can give you the physics of a coin flip and I can replicate it every time that it's no longer random, right? So there's actually, it's, it's somewhat, it's pretty deterministic. Um, and so you can kind of predict what the outcome, like if I had a robot that was watching you flip this coin, as soon as it left your thumb, I could, if I this robot was smart enough, it could predict whether it's going to be heads or tails. So it's not probabilistic. Um, it, it, it's not purely random is the right way to say that. Um, down, so down at the core, um, things, instead of having me question, like, is, is everything deterministic? But once you get into quantum mechanics, you'll learn that down at the core, everything is statistical and um, that nothing is deterministic. And so you're like, whew, like, okay, cool, got it. Um, can totally scratch that off. I mean, that was a mind-opening thing for me. But then I met uh, Dr. Lev Vaidman. Dr. Lev Vaidman is the author of the Many Worlds Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics. And this is this parallel universe stuff. And um, so I got to meet him and have a conversation with him. He's very quirky, uh, very interesting guy. Uh, he's also a co-author on like, so I study weak values. We can talk about my research later if you want, but I study weak values. It's a quantum mechanical phenomenon that gives you some weird outcomes. And we're trying to use them to build better sensors. This guy was also one of the co-authors on like that the seminal paper on weak values. So um, it's just weird that he's also the author of the Many Worlds Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics. So what's going on here is this. You have, you have a, 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 so everything you've known from like when you're born to now is just a one single thread. But what the Many Worlds Interpretation is saying is that every decision point I mean, every, every decision point you make, not just like, do I brush my teeth now or later, but like every little thing, like the words I'm saying, how I move my head, all that stuff is a decision that you're, a decision that you're making, whether it's unconsciously yeah. or consciously. Okay. Well, um, if, if that's true, okay. Um, and you're making these decisions, well then, well, first of all, everything seems, so let me try to make sure I, I'm, I'm laying this out right. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to, to screw anyone up and then have to come back. 
So what the many worlds, so first I'll lay out what the many worlds is. What the many worlds is saying is that um, as I'm going through and I'm making these decisions, um, there's also a parallel universe or another universe um, where I've made the other decision and I've then got a tree of other decisions after that, right? So right. at a decision point, you can break into two or three or four, whatever you'd like. It's a tree that keeps evolving into more and more trees. And um, that's what this many worlds thing is, is like in one world, in the world you live in, uh, you have selected this tree, but uh, a clone of you in a different universe selects the other path and 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 um, so on and so forth. And it becomes this big infinite tree. And And what it does is, it brings determinism back in. So Lev Veyman is a diehard determinist. He says, no, 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 no. So this is the fun thing. So, so, so physicists, at least for physicists, I'm going to just nerd out for one second. So physicists. Nerd out, nerd out all you want, bro. Dude, so, you want. so, I mean, this is cool. Like standard talk, like many worlds, like, oh, multiple universes, that's crazy. You know, it's like, oh, there's in some world, there's a version of me who's like, you know, Jeff Bezos, but this is this is this is even cooler than that. Well, uh, maybe for for for, for someone like me. So, leading up to the quantum revolution, um, you got to imagine the culture of physicists and stuff. So they they're usually like you know, back in the day, like the gentleman scientist who's like doing chemistry in his basement kind of thing and actually coming up with new discoveries and stuff. These people are very like arrogant, like a Renaissance man, and they you yeah. know, it's you know they're also usually like wealthier because they can afford to do this stuff. Um, and 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 one of the one you know in, in a scientist's you know arrogance isn't going to escape them for long. So these people, you got to think about their mindset. They're they're learning more and more about the universe, especially like down to the smaller and smaller level. Like chemistry is starting to actually form with with physics, other than being alchemy and things like that. And so we're actually trying to make sense of the world. And the physicist goal here is is always going to be a cosmologist goal. Is cosmology the study of the universe and the history of the universe and all this stuff? Um, that's what Einstein was and all of them. So. Um, the goal is to to get like a binding theory of everything you know the universal theory to describe everything we've got these different theories and like quantum mechanics isn't quite settled with classical mechanics um and and so it, it, people are struggling with that like how come you can't combine the two it doesn't make you know you get a transition so you have to make a decision when you're looking at something whether to describe it classically or quantum through the quantum mechanics um and some things can be described by both um but not all things and that's a big problem so people want this universal grand unifying theory to describe everything so if you've got some sort of behavior you want to describe you pull out your books and you've got universal theory and you rock and roll and it's game over you can describe anything well it doesn't work like that we, we we're not that smart we don't have a theory of everything but leading up before quantum mechanics we thought we were gonna get there um and quantum mechanics really really freaking threw a wrench in that so everybody's thinking you know if, if I just have enough information about a system, I can tell you what's going to happen. What does that sound like? That's determinism. If I can tell you enough about that coin flip, I can tell you enough about how this thumb leaves it and all that, and where the, the coin is placed, I can tell you what the outcome is. That's determinism. What that proves, if you can prove determinism is real, um, that is, you can predict anything given any sort of second set, set of initial conditions, and there's no random variable, then I can tell you the outcome of, of the rest of the if I, if I get a powerful enough computer. I can put in all of the variables. I can tell you the outcome of whatever election you'd like. I can tell you the outcome of what's going to happen to the U.S. with all this craziness going on right now. You, if you put in if you have a smarter computer and you put in all the variables, you should be able, in theory, to predict all of it. Okay. So hang on one second. Right. Got it. That's, that's, that's what these determinists want, and that's what these physicists were hoping to get to, to be able to prove, like, this is something we can do. 
All right. Quantum mechanics me, comes me in. This up for All everyone right. listening, and then you can tell me where I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old, like I'll say old, but physicists back in the day, they've got the the classical theory of kind of like they want to get to a classical classical physics theory of everything, how the world works. Yeah. And because they think that they can get to that. Essentially, that means that they would be able to predict everything given the initial conditions, initial variables. Um, and so quantum, the quantum realm, I guess, messed that up because of the behavior in that realm does not jive with the classical physics world. Yeah, and there seems to be randomness. So you can't, down at the fundamental level, you can't predict everything. Gotcha. Quantum mechanics is literally... So the scientists were chasing the universe. It, they wanted to be able to solve everything that could ever happen with the universe from start to finish. I can tell you what's going to happen if you give me this theory and, and, and you give me enough inputs, enough variables. Quantum mechanics was the universe's way of like, that's the universe's middle finger to the scientists that thought that they could figure out what the heck was going on. And uh, I, I, that's got to be the coolest thing about all of this. Um, so back to many worlds. So quantum mechanics flicks off the scientists that think they can figure this stuff out. The, deter- the hardcore determinists that want, to, that, that, that want the universe to be deterministic, not random and, 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 and wild. Um, they want order to the chaos. And uh, quantum mechanics says, no. Uh-uh. Lev Vaidman comes along and says, in fact, determinism is still compatible with quantum mechanics because you make your decision and the physics that we know, the determinism, is in line with that path line, the line that you and I know. Right. Um, and it's compatible with you making the other decision. That line is also separate. Determinism stays and the randomness goes away because you don't pick one, you pick all of them. Every single one of your options are chosen simultaneously and they continue to do throughout the rest of that tree. So determinism is back in, determinism is back on, and quantum mechanics also still works. It's very strange. Um, I think it's a cop-out. I think it's bullshit. Uh, I, I was about to say that. I was like, that just yeah. seems like a way to have your cake and eat it too. Yep. Yeah, it's bullshit. Uh, so I, t- so I, I, I pressed live on this, and um, we were at a conference for weak values, and uh, – uh, he's he's a he's a renaissance man he's going to like some he's going to do that and he's like having a drink and he played chess in the middle of it and then he was going to go to some uh a violin concert or something later on he, he's pretty wild dude and he's and he's a bit you can you can sense his arrogance when you're talking to him but like in a good way and, and like a fun quirky science way right i mean any dude that famous for this stuff is gonna be um so i mean no offense by that but he uh i asked about this and i'm like i was like doesn't that just seem like a cop-out and he didn't know what I meant by that is foreign. And uh, so it was a colloquialism, I guess. I was like, it just seems like you're cheating the system, you know? And then he like clicked and he's like, no, no, no. And he, he, this is like, he, like he got fired up for sure. But in a good way, like he was smiling the whole time. And he's like, no, 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 it's real. Like, this is what it is. He goes, this is how it works. And I said, but Lev, nobody can ever do an experiment to prove you wrong. And he's like, that's right. <laughs> so you're fully aware of, like this is just like it, 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 i say it's bullshit i mean it's possible right it's we can't prove it wrong so you, i can't say that's not it but yeah it's 
it's it's he loves it like he's just he's grinning because he's like prove me wrong you know and they can't and uh he's even got like an app there's a many worlds interpretation app you can get on your phone and he's like he's like you know his quip was like he goes if you want to if you're trying to figure out whether to stay in or go out to the movies he goes he goes you don't have to choose he goes you can do both just get on the app and i'm like oh my gosh it's so dumb it's not dumb it's what's that is it his app yeah i guess so i heard his racket yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. If he's, I'm sure he's getting some kickback for it, but it's so dumb. It's it's not dumb. It's just uh, it's a hard one. It's a hard pill to swallow. Um, I mean, he's welcome to it, and and so are every, so is everyone else. So then you get into the fun stuff, and you're like, um, uh, you can being able to pass between uh, parallel universes, and and that's where they come from. Um, by the way, so like that's that's the basis of it. And then then you get into the fun stuff of Ant Man or Flash, you know. Yeah. teleporting back to a multi- parallel universe and coming back in time and all that stuff and um uh yeah time travel is a weird one and that another thing that like hasn't been proven wrong um and it, that one that one is a little bit further and harder to explain like relativity is a fun fun thing but it's 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 definitely hard to wrap your head around yeah um, so parallel universes are possible then is what I'm taking out of this. Country. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. There, yeah. You can't prove it wrong. So, so here's here's an example of something you can prove wrong that is also quirky. So, parallel universes, I can't prove. We can't prove that they don't exist. Right. If right. you can maybe, try, yeah. I don't. I don't even know if we have like the equipment. I can't even think of an example where you have equipment to be able to do that. I mean, you could describe some sort of like storybook way to test it, right? But like, okay, I traveled to a parallel universe and oh, there it is. And and then, you know, you walk it back. But I mean, I don't even know. It yeah, doesn't even seem wouldn't, real. Wouldn't that mess up the parallel universe then if you traveled to it and then it hadn't accounted for that? Or would that just create another decision tree? No, yeah, just yeah, just more decision trees. It's, it, dude, I'm telling you, it's just like, here you go, right? Uh, just throw more trees at it. That would be wild uh, if it actually worked that way yeah so so all right one thing all right keep going people want people so there's 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 lots in science that like people want to be true so bad but it's like you read i read popular science articles and stuff people send to me and it's just like they they blow up the dumbest shit but but (laughs) it it is actually really interesting down to like the level of Mm -hmm. of the science that's going on um one really good example is teleportation Ooh, more fun stuff dude so so being able to um like travel between like multiple universes and stuff you, people say like you need like a, a wormhole and you have to like really stretch space time like um i mean the classical example is let's see if i got a piece of paper here somewhere oh yeah i've got sticky notes cool the classical example is like um what a wormhole is so, like this is if we live on um what they call it so in the physical world they call this a flatland it's just a 2D space, and we're these little creatures that live on here. Um, if you wanted to, like, pass from one end of flatland. So I want to go from, let's say, oh, I don't know if you can even see this stuff. Yeah. I want to go from here. To, if I want to go from circle one to circle two. Right. Okay. Well, one thing, I can't obviously just teleport from here to there, but what you can do is fold the paper over and then make sure they're on top of each other, you know, and then you pass through just like that and so you poke a hole into here and so then that's the idea is that that is now my wormhole so all i have to do is figure out how to create that wormhole between the two and how you go about all that stuff is where it gets tricky 
Um, but uh, um, it doesn't, it, it so far, it doesn't seem impossible. And um, you just need enough energy and to know how to bend space time enough to do that. I mean, you get it. If you look at like, um, how, if you look at like a, a, a graphic of like how space time bends around masses, like the black hole, um, which is a, a, um, a, 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 um, uh, a singularity in the space time fabric, um, because it, it essentially like space time fabric bends towards masses. And if you get something that's massive enough, it's going to bend to a singularity where you've got this hole that could be ripped. And, and, and if it's bending space time around it at that point, then in theory, some weird stuff could happen and you could, um, you, you could end up somewhere else. I mean, that's kind of the idea without like explaining how they think that that happens. Um, okay, so real, real quick, just so we've got some con context around what, around what you're saying. Yeah. So when you say the space time fabric, like when most people think of a black hole, they just think of like something that's sucking in all the lights that's in the universe somewhere, mm -hmm. but you think of it in a different way. So when you say like singularity and space time fabric, what, just like real quick definitions for like, what do you mean by, by those things for those listening? Cause I think I have an idea of what you mean, but I'm not sure that other, like the the listeners might, yeah. especially, especially if they're on Spotify and they didn't see your, your paper thing. So, just <laughs> so, so the, uh, the easiest way to understand what's going on on this stuff is to believe it or not, to dumb it down and simplify it. Um, to, to scientists and and what this what this means to scientists is let's go from three dimensions to two dimensions and that's this flatland stuff and so if you imagine instead of three-dimensional beings which we are and i can move in x y and z imagine we're two-dimensional beings and we can only move in x and y um that's that's the easiest way to to, to conceptualize what the heck is going on uh if anyone starts to learn about like higher dimensions and stuff that's what they'll do. You'll start off in flatland. You start off in line land, which is just mm -hmm. one dimensional. And then you'll move to flatland. And then you can say, okay, now let's think about what that would mean in three dimensions and beyond. And, you know, high schoolers can, can, can think about this stuff pretty well. But it's got to be – so when you talk about, like, space-time fabric and bending fabric, we go back to, to flatland, to two dimensions. And you can think of, like, space. I'm talking about, like, actual space with the sun around it and – you know, you always see the orbits and they're all kind of like flat. Like there, you got the sun and you got all these other things on the outside on the perimeters and they're rotating around and they're in this flat plane. You think of that as like uh, being on a trampoline, right? And the sun is in the center of the trampoline and, it, and the trampoline is warped all the way down um, to the weight in the middle. You put a bowling ball in the middle of the trampoline, um, that is the sun. Uh, the trampoline bends in towards this bowling ball um, and you can think of still, I, I'm, you're still being on flat land. You're still this, this human flat person, this two-dimensional person on the surface of the trampoline. The trampoline to you is still flat and everything's fine. Um, you don't see this bend. You don't see how the trampoline is bending because you live in two dimensions. You don't, the bend is in the third dimension and doesn't make sense to you, but you can experience it. You're still going to get pulled in towards the center. So you can experience it. You can measure it. If you had flatland scientists, they can measure how much they're accelerating towards the center, but they wouldn't know why. And so we can, because we're three-dimensional beings observing this, we can say, oh, it's, it, you're bending space, the, the fabric of, of the space they live in. Forget time, the physical space. You're bending the fabric of that physical space, the fabric in this case being the surface of the trampoline. And so you extend that to three dimensions, 
and voila, you've arrived at the 3D space-time fabric that is being bent, uh, in a sense, by these large masses and black holes. And if you so put something... Yes, you are. So basically, it's... I'm trying to visualize like a graph in my head. Yeah. So you've got XYZ, and then instead of it just going straight into the trampoline, it just is pulling the third dimension or bending the third dimension with it, essentially. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so, you. That's right. you. yeah and so, so what a singularity is in this idea, you, know, you want to get to where you can, you, you think of the trampoline is pretty damn tough, mm-hmm. okay? but you want to be able to like have the trampoline bending so much in like certain points. I mean, get to like a giant fucking trampoline, uh, excuse me, a, a very big trampoline, and you've got different bone balls in different areas and stuff, yeah. so not everything rolls into the center, and it's pretty rigid. Well, you need to be able to, if you want to like travel between two pieces and, and rip this this fabric of this trampoline, you need a really, really heavy masses. I mean, you think you put a golf ball down there, you're going to see a small indent. Mm-hmm. You put a baseball, maybe a little bit more. You see, uh, put a bowling ball a lot more, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Once you get to like something that's really, really small and really, really massive, you know, that thing is going to be locally bending really, really quickly and steeply. And if it bends so steep, um, that you, you can't measure the width of it, and it's the depth of it is is infinite. That's in, that that is what like a singularity would be called. Um, gotcha. So it's asymptotic without end. So it's 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 infinitely deep and narrow, and um, that's what a singularity would be called. That's what black holes essentially are. Um, so it's not really uh, sucking all the all the light in. It's just bending how we. It's bending it in a way that we can no longer see it. Yeah, so so what's cool, so yeah, the whole black hole thing and why it's black is they got this uh, they call what they call the event horizon. And so that like that's that's the the width of it. We used to get a cool picture of one recently, right? The um it came out like what like two, three years ago or something like that, the picture of the black hole, you know what I'm talking about? It's pretty famous, yeah. And and it's got that, that red ring around a telltale red ring everyone loves, you know, the ring of fire. And that's the fire, the firewall. Um, and there's a lot of weird stuff. There's still a lot of debate too about what's going on there. Um, but what, it, what what isn't debated is that light isn't escaping within there. So if um, photons travel within the event horizon, they fall into and anything beyond photons or whatever. If 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 Air Jennings got close enough, to, if you got past that event horizon, you're gone. You know nothing escapes. Um, so light doesn't escape. Um, uh, but uh, and that's and that's of course why it turns dark. Um, uh, yeah, but on this horizon too, there's, there's also this weird thing and, and, and I don't know enough about it to explain, so I'm not even going to pretend to, but, um, the, there's, there's some weird debate going on in amongst cosmologists, cosmology, again, study of the universe and history of it and, and all these weird quirky theoretical physicist questions, um, about like the, how information gets exchanged there. Um, so like if you entangle a pair of photons and you send, you send one of them into the, in, into, in, in, and past this firewall, and then you've got one, like, what does your information say about that and vice versa? So it, there's just, there's, there's weird questions that you can play with around this firewall of black holes that we still don't quite know the answers to. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're, they're really freaking cool. And they give you, they give also give people in shows, you know, something to work with like okay so singularities can exist so warping the space-time fabric enough to be able to like teleport is possible if you could create a, like a local black hole in your pocket you know like 
and and then also direct it to where you're able to do what you want to do with it. I mean, other than just getting ripped to shreds. Would that be the concept though? Essentially, is to create a singularity that you could kind of get through it, like or what? When we were talking about time, what were we talking about? Time? No, was it time travel? Yeah. Yeah. So is that the concept to create a singularity where you can just like when as you folded the paper to just bend it enough that you could just hop through to the other side? Yes. But in practicality, like at least in a black hole. And, and so, the, the, yeah, in a black hole for sure, you're going to get ripped to shreds. Like you're not going to, a human won't survive that. No, of course. Um, yeah, but yeah. that's kind of the idea is information can pass. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can be reassembled on the other side or something like that. But, but actually, which brings you to another cool thing. So uh, that, that, that we can't actually, this is one of the things where you can prove that it doesn't exist. And that's what I was trying to say earlier. It's called the no clone theorem. So you can't actually teleport. In a, so you can move yourself. I can move Eric Jennings as fast as I want anywhere else. And perhaps, you know, I can, I can, um, uh, I can, I can teleport you somewhere via black hole. And as long as you survived it, somehow we came some, we made some special capsule that made you, you know, impervious to the gravitational stretching and lensing. So you somehow survived your transport to black hole. I get you somewhere else. But what I can't do is I can't clone you. I can't take a literal clone of you and, and make you somewhere else. So I can't like, if you get, if I knew all the information that, that made up Eric Jennings, you know, you're, you're, you're not, not like, you know, black hair, blue eyes kind of thing or blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm talking about like the orientation of your, your molecules and, and, and how they behave and how they're going to behave. And um, I can take all this stuff. Uh, if I had all this information about Eric Jennings and his molecular makeup, um, people like to think, well, I, I, that means I could, I could make you, I could clone you somewhere else. And so that's kind of the thing, like, let's say uh, another idea for teleportation is I, I put you, you step into this capsule, this capsule reads all that information about you. And then this sends that information to some other capsule. And then you, it, it recreates you or whatever the, the, the sci-fi term is for that. It clones you and makes you in this new capsule. And so that's another idea. Can't happen. It's been proved it can't be done. There's literally a theorem called the no clone theorem. It is impossible. You cannot be clone. You can't clone macroscopic things and you can't clone even molecular things. Uh, you got to go through the physics. Test. So there's no like layman's term for explanation. Oh, it, it, so the math- saying because people think like they clone cows for beef and stuff like that. Yeah. Not, yeah. That's, that's not like genetic thing. cloning. Yeah. So what's so I guess if you understand the difference, can you like go into a little bit? Because for me, a clone is a clone. Yeah. So you're speaking about a very different, a very different thing. Yeah. So genetic cloning is like you're trying to clone the DNA. Um, and even if you, I, I, and so I don't know enough about genetic cloning on like the the how it works, like the ins and outs. But I but I do know you're you're trying to to replicate the same DNA and, and get the same sort of outcome. And even, even those clones, like they come out looking different, right? You know, yeah. they look similar, but they still, there's differences. Um, uh, I forget even what the, the initial, the first like clone sheep ever was. I forget. I think it was yeah. Doll, 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 Dolly or something like that. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. The sheep. yeah. Yeah. But the, even that sheep like looked different than like where it came. I'm not even sure if it, it I remember looking funny. And so I just assumed it looked different, but, but you can clone other animals biologically and, you can even molecularly tell molecularly tell there's differences. Um, and so you can measure differences in these two people. They're close. They're clones because they're based on the cloning of the DNA, but 
they're molecularly different and I can point to distinct differences. One may be even taller than the other or whatever. But when it comes to quantum mechanical clone, um, like you can break this down something really, really simple. Like I want to clone a certain atom, right? And atoms are all pretty fundamental. Like a helium atom is what it is. And, and you can you tell you what, what it's tell, but there actually are differences and they're measurable differences. And so the idea here is I'm taking an exact replica taking the exact replica of, of this specific thing. And what goes into defining what something is um, are the behavior, the behavior at the quantum level. And um, if you want to, you can do a math problem. And so that's, that's how I, you know, I was convinced that it. it's hard to, it's hard to put in a, to, to, well, it's hard for me perhaps to put into, to lay, lay terms here uh, why it doesn't work. Um, but once you go and see the math and work it out yourself, you'll see that you, you literally cannot clone something uh, at the quantum level, which then means you can't clone something at the classical level, which is just more aggregate quantum things, right? So it's just impossible to clone the state of something. Mm. Like, st well, not state of matter, but the matter of the, like what it's actually physically made of. Yeah, state is a, state is a quantum colloquialism for, basically the identity of something like this a state is what is the essence of what something is yeah gotcha yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is awesome though i feel like i'm learning a lot and i'm going to be very confused for the next like week yeah but I'm st we're all still confused it's good, it's good though i think all right well, i guess we might as well just move on to the next quirky thing you got time travel, did teleportation, parallel universes. What else is what else is a quirky sort of I don't even know. Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit of my research. These things are called um weak values and um Okay. It, it, yeah, I run the risk of talking about something I'm super passionate about because this is what I spend my day-to-day -day doing, but uh, it may not be interesting to others, so I'm just going to be careful and tread lightly, so I'll tell the cool stuff about it. No, you're good. I appreciate but, the segue because I had no idea what to say at that point. <laughs> yeah, so these things are, uh, so weak values is is new. Um, okay, Lev Vaidman and Yukir Aronov, who actually was the lead author and came up with the idea, um, I think Lev just helped out with some of the math and and and, uh, and, and helping Aharonov think through this. Um, <laughs> I hope Lev doesn't ever see this. He probably doesn't like me very much. But the uh, so they came up with this idea of weak values, and what they what they discovered was weak is in not strong. Yeah, W E A K values, and they just called them that because um, of, of 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 what you'll. Uh, I'll explain why they call them that in a second. But first. The, the seminal paper, the lead paper, I think was, it was titled, um, and, and, and I probably should have this memorized uh, because it's like the seminal paper of my entire body of work so far. But it's like a, how the spin of a particle can come out to be 100. And spin is a measurement, is a fundamental measurement. It's like the color of your hair um, of a particle. And uh, it just, it's just a property of a particle. And um, they, can only, they can only be with certain things, you know, half, um, negative half, uh, and and they certainly can't be 100. Um, and uh, that's what they showed. That was the title of this paper. And you know, I set the world on fire for a little bit. 
uh, the, the, the quantum measurement world. And, um, and that's what, that's what this is, is a type of quantum measurement. It's, it's something you can observe via doing a quirky way to measure things. And, um, uh, so that's, so what, what they end up doing is, and what this really is going on here, uh, <laughs> at least what, what I think is really going on here or a way to describe it is, um, let's say that, okay, here's a simple example. Um, so everybody, I got a couple, you know, you got a game, the cup game, like I've got a, uh, there's a, there's like a ball or a peanut or something like that. And you've got like three cups and mm -hmm. you lift up one of them, you show it's under this one and then you cover it and then you shuffle these around. Okay. I shuffle these around a bunch. And then like, I have you pick which one the ball's in and, uh, you pick up all of them and they're gone. Right. Well, that's magic because, you know, somebody did something weird to like move it out of the way. And now it's on the floor in his pocket or something like that. And that's what we value measurement. It, it comes out that the weak value, uh, can have, can, can have values outside of what is expected. So the ball will end up in the next room somehow. If you look at it, if you look for it in the right way, and what that means is, and this is the weak part, it, you can only get it by, um, by performing a weak measurement. And it's a certain like, like a recipe for, for getting this result, this weird result, okay? Um, so a, a, a traditional, I can't use the word classical anymore, a traditional quantum measurement, because this is like new quantum, right? So this isn't even stuff in textbooks right now. It's in some books, but, but if you pick up a, it's not in my quantum textbooks I learned at school. So this was, I had to learn all new stuff. Um, when you do, when you perform a quantum measurement and, and the foundation of quantum mechanics is this measurement, when you look at something, okay, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're breaking down the wave function and collapsing it into a certain state, the essence of what it is, right? Uh, so things behave statistically or quantum mechanically in wave, and they're described by wave functions. It's just a mathematical model where I can do it is a mathematical model that's kind of funky that that behaves statistically like a wave and then when you go and you look it behaves like a particle that is to say it is somewhere it's that ball is under one of these cups and uh, performing a classical quantum measurement i look under one of those cups and the statistical behavior of it existing in all three of those cups um uh, breaks down into a single existence and voila the ball is under one of these cups right so summarize one more time You've got three cups, the ball under one of them. Mm -hmm. From quantum mechanics, before I look, I know that there's different probabilities. It's a probability it's here, it's a probability it's here, it's a probability it's here. And to say that it is, you, most people like to think, okay, that means that the ball is under one of these things. And classically, it is under one of those cups. Um, but quantum mechanically, it's not. It's under all three of those cups to different levels of probability. And, um, but they, but it exists under all of those cups to, you know, there, there's debate about whether you can make that phrase, but, but there's also no way to prove that that's not true. So the bowl you can think of is actually existing in all three of those cups. And when you go to lift one up, that's when the measurement takes place and the bowl now switches the physics of it aggregate to exist in a specific state that was created by your observation. You're, you're basically breathing that ball into existence by observing. Okay, that's how quantum measurement works. All right, and if I did that experiment enough times, you know, the probability of like the three different cups would, would even out to okay. So you, if it was twenty five percent here, twenty five percent there, and fifty percent in the middle, 
if I measured it a hundred times, you're going to get roughly some something along those numbers. Okay. Weak values. So I know this is, this is, this is, this is, we're not doing any math, luckily. So hopefully it's not too, too out of grasp. No, you're, no, you're good. I think I follow, I was following that, especially the, the way you described the probability of existence. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It's almost from the standpoint of like, it exists under all of them quantum, quantumly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Yeah. And, but it doesn't exist classically until you see it there. Bingo. Because, of, because of the probability that it that's right be under any of them yeah, yeah. i got you. And, and and this weird thing of like looking and not looking it, it only really occurs on the quantum level so they joke about like the the cat you know you know the thing about schrodinger's cat remind me uh so someone's calling me just want to make sure we're uh, oh what's going on? oh i'm getting facetime that's what it is <laughs> not today all right so look uh so so the Schrodinger's cat thing, which everyone kind of likes, it's a popular science thing. Um, uh, this cat is the whole experiment is this cat is like, let's say this cat is in like a box, right? Mm-hmm. A nice box. It's got AC. Like it's not, you know, suffering. Box, the cat's chilling in this box. Okay. But also in the box in this nice AC box is a vial of um, uh, poisonous gas. Okay. They had to set this up like this because Things only behave like this at the quantum level, but they're trying to like draw a correlation to like the macroscopic level. Mm-hmm. So, so they use the cat. Uh, I don't really know why. I think maybe um, uh, this is uh, maybe yeah, maybe like cats. For some reason, physicists like cats. I like cats, but I'm allergic to them. Just as a disclaimer. So, uh, this cat is in this box, and they want to try to give it some quantum like existence, right? Either it's alive or dead. And how it does this is this. It takes this vial of like poisonous gas, right? And um, in order to 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 break the, the glass or something like, oh, yeah, there's like this, this, there's a couple different ways to do this. Actually, I think Einstein, the original proposal was like this bomb that went off, okay? So- um, Something that could kill the cat. Yeah, from a prob- probabilistic perspective, like like a decay, that's what it is. So, so atoms um, decay over time. Um, atoms further down the periodic table decay faster and certain properties like uranium, plutonium, things like that. And um, so the timing of this decay is weird. So let's say, let's say after a minute, um, the probability of this, this atom decaying and breaking this glass and causing this poisonous gas to, to break into the, the box and kill the cat um, is like 50%, right? So after a minute, there's a 50% chance that the atom decayed and broke and, and broke the seal and, and killed the cat. Um, and 50% chance it didn't. What people are asking is this question. This is the far experiment that, that kind of like gave him all this acclaim. So is the cat dead or alive after a minute? Um, and not just like, okay, we understand, we can easily say there's 50% chance it's alive, 50% chance it's dead. But the question is, is it actually alive or is it actually dead? And it's just that we don't know until we look, or is it alive and dead? And um, this is the whole this is the whole measurement question in quantum mechanics. Um, and you can, you can say with some confidence that it's both and um, it's not actually one or the other. It doesn't get decided until you actually observe it. And so that's a wild thing with quantum mechanics. And that's kind of the same thing with the ball and it's not decided until yeah. you look at it. But what you're doing when you, when you lift up the box and look to see if the cat there is you're breaking down this wave function, this probabil- probabilistic behavior. You break, it's, it breaks down, it flattens out, 
and it's no longer a probabilistic spread, and it's 100% certain it's either dead or it's alive. Is that what you were talking about with the slit in the wall earlier? That's right. Yeah, you're looking yeah. at the – that's right. That's right. Yeah. Dude, you're a quantum physicist ready to go. So <laughs> I don't know about that. So, so the, the trick with weak values is weak values come along, and it's not in – the ball isn't in any of those cups. The cat isn't dead or alive. It's some other weird state. The cat's a bad example because it's a binary thing, but the ball being in a cup is is somewhat helpful. So it, the ball is either in one of these three cups, for, it, 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 statistically, and then when you go to look at it, it screws that up, and it, and it firmly is in one of these. Um, but with weak measurement, you're peaking. You're not actually lifting up the cup and looking, like lifting it up fully and looking at it, you could think of it as you're peaking. You, you, you're gonna, I'm going to lift the cup up just a little bit. I'm going to see if it's in there, okay? So you're, you're not breaking down the wave function. You're kind of fooling with it. Um, I'm, I'm going to look a little bit, but I'm not going to look so that it's, it's not a strong enough measurement that I break down the wave function. It's a weak measurement. I, I measure it very weakly, I just very subtle interaction. Um, a good example of like something we do is like a, a laser beam has a spot size to it. So I'm going to make sure we don't get too crazy with this. I'm going to mm -hmm. try my best to do this layman. Cause this is really what I, this is more along the lines of what I'm actually experiments that I actually did. Sure. Laser beam has a spot size to it. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's say that I, I want to translate that beam one way or another. Like uh, I'm doing it via a, a, a bi like a crystal that, that like I put a, I put a, a, a piece of glass in between and I like tilt a little bit and I kind of like off centers the, the beam a little bit, right? right? If I had a big enough piece of glass and it's got a big enough, you know, index of refraction, that light's going to move through that a little bit in a weird way. I and mean, that's just how light works, right? So, but the point is you're moving the laser beam over a little bit. You're translating it. So you have this beam spot size and you can translate it a lot. When you translate it a lot and then you look to see where it's at, um, you can say, okay, this beam moved over here by some amount. Well, at the quantum level, the location of photons, particles of light, have a bit of uncertainty to them. You can't tell specifically right where they're at, right? Uh, at least if you, you, they have a known momentum. Okay? The point is, they've got some uncertainty. So it's not just a fixed beam. There's also some, some area on the edge where it's like, well, you know, I'm not quite sure. So if you translated this beam in such a small distance, if I just wanted to translate it just a little bit to where, like, the new location is still largely overlapping where it, where it originally existed, um, then, then it's still within the quantum uncertainty of the existence of the original beam, then you can't even tell that you've, you're not actually, like this is the weak part of the measurement. It's still within the same uncertainty. And I know that's, that's not the best description. I don't think I've ever attempted to describe this in like a, a simple way, uh, this example. Uh, sure. but, but that's, that's well, at a macroscopic level of actual experiment observing light uh, in a weak way that is one way to do it um and how much you can still measure but i can measure so that you want to measure how much did you displace it but you can't transduce it you don't have pixels small enough to say it moved by some you know a, 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 the, the width, less than a width of a, of a hair right um it actually be a lot smaller than that we're talking about like femtometers and picometers like things like times 10 to the, like a meter times 10 to the negative 14 um you don't have cameras small enough to transduce that displacement right, but right. if you measure it in a weak way what you can do is when you go and look so you gotta do this other weird stuff 
got to put a polarizer in the front, polarizer in the back, and kind of like erase the, the which path information or the Welterweg information. And what you end up with is uh, that, that bean that you translated only slightly is now way the hell over here. And so when you go to look, the beam is, is like multiple meters away from where it originally was. And, and based on how far away it moved, I can use weak value theory to tell you um, how small it actually moved. So again, a weird thing that, that I usually have slides in front of me when I describe this. Yeah. You translate the light like a picometer, something so damn small. But if you, and that's actually how much it's moving. But when you do these, this weird trick before and after, uh, and I won't describe it, then what you end up getting on the detector from looking to see where the light actually is, is you get a large translation. And so now, it, again, that's that whole, it didn't appear under one of the cups. It's now in the next room over for some weird reason. And it's because you measured it weekly and you did this, this weird prescription of pre and post selecting, which I won't describe, but that's, that's, what, that's what my research is around. And we are trying to figure out how to apply that to enhance sensors, you know, you can say radars, optical cameras, things like that. So, okay, the Navy is interested in that sort of thing. Seems like something they would be interested in. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Let me try to. <laughs> so that was probably no, not no, that good. No, 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 you're good. I think I'm not going to say I understand, right? But um, okay, so when you. So you've got the wave function. When you don't interrupt the wave function using the ball under the cups, yeah, all the cups are down, and there's it exists in all of them with some probability. When you pick up the cup all the way, then it's either there or it's not. And so, but when when you go in between, instead of it being there or it's not, like you would think of it physically, like the classical physics way, when yeah. you mess with it just a little bit, it just offshoots somewhere yeah or or can offshoot somewhere yeah if you do it the right way yeah yeah Is yeah it's if you, if you peak in the right way if you peak in the right way it does something nobody would expect it's almost like the wave function is going and instead of like stopping it like full send stopping it you kind of just like push it or like yeah. mess with it and then it just like goes haywire almost at least, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is that a stupid person's way to, way to describe? No, no. It's it's like you know before before while the while the ball is under one of these three cups statistically, you know people don't know what it's doing. We don't know what it's doing. We can't say that it's definitely in one of those cups. We can't say that it's. We, it's hard to even say that it's exists in all of those cups. That's the most fun thing to say, and it's okay to say that because it's not really inaccurate, um, and that's what most people say. But. Um, but we, the answer is we don't know what it's doing. But what we, what, what we, what we did find out with weak values in, in 1988 was that when you go to look and you, you, you it's like this, uh, it's like, it's like, yeah, you're like walking into a house and you don't know what to expect. You know that somebody's, but like you creak open the door, like it's like your kids down or your cats like playing around your house or something like that, like knocking shit over. When you open the door, they're like they're not doing anything, right? But when you peek and you don't let them know that you're looking, they're doing crazy shit. Yeah, and yeah. that's what's going on in quantum mechanics. I, I, when you lift up the ball, the ball's going to behave like, I'm a ball, I'm just, I've just been under this cup the whole time. But if you peek in the right way and it doesn't know that you're peeking because it's still within the uncertainty of quantum mechanics, if, if you peek in the right way, it's, it's, it's doing some crazy ass shit. It's, it's, it's like, it, 
Like it's not even what we would predict. And so that's what we've discovered with weak value theory. And um, it's fucking awesome. It's cool. It's wild. Is it, this is telling us then that when the wave function is still going and we've not peaked, we've not looked that it could be doing anything. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And, and it'll behave the way we want it to if we look in a, in a, in a very deliberate way. But if we peek and do this weird looking, then it no longer behaves via this weird wave function. It does something else that we've, you know, weak value theory has had to build out that, that behavior. And that's what we do. Gotcha. So let me ask you this question then. And if, if this question makes no sense, um, then please feel free to tell me. Is, is the weak values kind of a stepway into observing? So like being able to, I'll say put like an x-ray through the cup to see what the ball is doing in that example. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. So look, first of all, when, when people who aren't familiar with this stuff start to ask questions they think are dumb, that's usually when like, you know, big discoveries are making people that are like live in this world 24 seven. They, they don't even think to ask some questions like that. I mean, it's a good question. Um, and, and I would say yes, but it seems as though, um, that's not something that's not somewhere the community is going. The community is going and trying to figure out how to apply this stuff. And they've, they've done weak measurements in all sorts of different contexts and done some other weird stuff, but I'm not from actually, you know what, let me correct that answer. So at first I was going to say that I don't think that, because what you're asking is like, are we going to use, are we using weak values to like, um, uh, understand how things are behaving more fundamentally being able to see through the wall because this measurement thing is really screwing with us. So if we can get around that via weak values, maybe we can learn more about the system. And we all are trying to, um, but, but really the fundamental, so, okay, so has weak, have weak values um, uncovered anything weird and new besides this whole, it behaves in a weird way afterwards, right? And the answer is yes. So, so in fact, Parks, the guy who I mentored under, um, so I was the mentee of, uh, Dr. Parks, he, um, along with Scott Spence and John Gray, uh, in case anybody's listening, you know, just to give credit, uh, these guys discovered possibly uh, what's called retrocausality. And um, what this is, is like backwards action. So um, this is like this traveling in time kind of stuff. So we don't have any examples of this. We don't have any examples of this, except for in some retrocausal things. And so let me, let me try my best to explain this. I don't think I've ever explained to someone later. So... I'm going to try to do it in an analogy rather than trying to describe a mock sender interferometer. So an analogy. That's, that's why before you go, that's kind of why I like doing this. So if you're trying to explain, I'm trying to learn something and maybe we're like, I can work it out. You tell me where I'm wrong. And then you work out how like, so the next time if somebody random asks what it is, then like, you know how to explain it. And I've learned something new and everybody's happy. Yeah. So the, the Feynman method of learning something is, like I pick up a paper, read it, try to go find someone to explain it to them. And as you try to explain it to them, they will help you work out what you don't know about it. And, and then you go and, you know, teach to someone else. And that's the Feynman method of learning. That's fine. Richard Feynman, dude. Hmm, I didn't um, actually know that was a thing. Well, so yeah. there you go. Learning something new. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. So retrocausality is when something that you do down the line. So, um, all right, 
I mean, something that will seem unreal. If like, so I've got a window here. If, if a ball came crashing into this window, um, all of a sudden and landed here on my desk, that window's broken, the ball's in here, damage is done. But if retrocausality is saying that, no, that's not true. You can undo that window being broken if you do something in the right way now with this ball. So if I do something to the ball, um, it, it, that, you know, so if I can fool with it weekly, if I can, if I can measure the existence of this ball in a weak way, if I don't see it, but I can measure it in a weak way, um, you can affect uh, what it's done in the past. I can make it so that that ball never came through that window. Um, and this is, this is the essence of virtual causality. You're, you're, you're looking and observing nature um, at a certain point in time. Um, and, and what you're doing is you're affecting the behavior of it from the past. And um, this has only been demonstrated that the ball through the window thing is a macroscopic, you know, analogy, but it's only been done with like with light and very small distances. But um, it seems as though it's very true. Um, or, or, you know, I say very true, probably a heavy worded way to say it. Possible. The, the, we, there's no other explanation for it right now. So it's not been challenged in a convincing way. So, so far it stands as unexplained phenomenon. So that's what retro causality is. And that gives people lots of hope. <laughs> and you know, that's where the, the, the people start to get wired up again, you know, like, okay, so we can do stuff with time because I mean, right now kind of it's untouchable time just marches on, but you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that should just stay with you guys. Those regular people should not be, <laughs> you get people doing some weird things, man. Oh, I know. I know. Um, all yeah. sorts of stuff, but no, that's really cool. So, uh, okay, so, and this has been, I guess, demonstrated with light in a in a lab. So, if you if the light, I'll I'll just say like, go like moves in a certain direction, and you mess with the way like the like you peak, essentially. I'm yeah. using that analogy, and you peak. Yeah, yeah, you can make it go back to what it was. Yes. Ish. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I even when I first got there, I proposed an experiment to like test um, some pieces of this, and it was it was really freaking hard to like figure out like a thought experiment to like test this weirdness. And um, it's it's very tough to wrap your head around what's going on. There's, there's, you don't have the total freedom to do whatever the hell you want to do. You can't make people not die again. Right. Um, but it's, and that's the thing is like people then take this and they say, Oh, like we can reverse time. Like, uh, I can make, you know, I, I don't know, JFK come back to life, you know, something like that. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, unfortunately it doesn't work like that. We can't do things that wild. And that's where, you know, you lose listeners because they want to hear that it does crazy stuff, but well, it's really specific things. Like biology. you can change. Yeah. You can't really, you, that gets into like the biology of stuff. And you can't really yeah. change biology, at least in the same, like it's not been played with in the same sort of way. It's a simple thing. Yeah. You're, you're able to affect, I can change basically you, you, one thing you can do is like, you can change the momentum of photons. Um, so like if I, photons are traveling in a path, a beam of light is traveling at a path and I'm measuring its, its momentum around point A here. And then I do something up here. I do a weak measurement at point B. Then that momentum that I did measure, like it, it, it changes. And now it's saying that all of a sudden these photons didn't have that momentum. And it's like, but 
but I, but I just measured in it and it, and it, it said it does. And so you got contradictory measurements and what the only way you can explain it is by um, working back in time and saying, okay, cool. Quantum, the quantum theory does actually explain this, but the only way it's, it's explainable is by saying that time was reversed and you had back action. The, the effect up here at point B changed what happened at, at point A. And that's what retrocausality is. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's so simple. It's such a fundamental plan. Just slightly change the momentum. You know, you can let your dreams get the best of you and, and take off of that and say, oh, well, I can, you know, then, you know, reverse some weird interaction that happened at a macro scale. But I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> maybe, maybe, but it, it seems as though so far what we know about quantum mechanics and stuff, those kinds of things don't translate to the macroscopic world. Teleportation is really freaking hard. Um, well, I can't weekly measure Eric Jennings and all of a sudden in one life, he's Cristiano Ronaldo. It doesn't, it just, it doesn't <laughs> translate to that. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. that's, okay. So when you're, when you're researching this stuff and you're in such a small scale, how do you actually go about researching that? Because like you have a microscope, but like you can't yeah. really see a, like a wave function with a microscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, how does that work? And also, yeah. does this get into particle accelerators? And if so, what actually are those? Yeah, so we'll have to go down that road because because I don't deal with particle accelerators right now. We do, so laser light is coherent light, it's classical light. Um, but um, at the fundamental level, that laser light is a bunch of photons. And, and what we do, is we call that an ensemble of photons a group of photons like an entourage of photons and you can treat a group of photons as one quantum system so it's an analogy to you can say it's one single photon and so you can draw the analogy and that allows you to play in the quantum realm without actually having to measure single photons um accelerators let you do that so you can start to get weird things that are happening um and it's what's weird is like in these particle accelerators. So what a particle accelerator is, is you're taking, um, not photons, because you need things with, with, with mass. And um, so you're taking like atoms, uh, you could take, um, it, it doesn't really matter, copper atoms and things like that, and rubidium atoms. And uh, that's what a lot of atom interferometry is. But this is slightly different atom interferometry. This is accelerating atoms around like a racetrack. Um, there's racetrack designs, there's cyclotron, a cyclotron is like a, it was invented by, um, uh, uh, oh man, my science history is a little rough here, but um, there was a gentleman out of like Caltech and they had this, this cyclotron and there's Berkeley, California, Berkeley, and, and I think Caltech were like competing um, pretty heavily for a while. They were like these particle accelerators. And um, what you do is you're getting these things up to really, really high speeds, really, really high energies, like near the speed of light. And so the speed of light, as we know, well, as may maybe people know, is the speed, ultimate fundamental speed limit of the universe nothing can go faster than the speed of light. Um, and it, which is a wild, wild thing to wrestle with. I know I wrestled about at a high school. I'm like, why is that the fundamental limit? And the answer is we don't know. Like, why is it that number? We don't know. We don't really know. Why is the, uh, the fundamental constant of the universe? Why, why is that what it is? You know, it's, we don't know. Um, and, and it's, this is where people start to get in like, well, then, you know, there's definitely an architect, you know? And I mean, uh, 
you know, sure, but as scientists, we just try to understand it and measure with the stuff. But it is fun to think about that. Like, why is it that number? Anyways, so we've got this ultimate speed limit we're trying to get things up to. And um, it's very hard. You have to put a lot of energy into it. And it's just, they use like magnets and magnetic fields. And uh, the magnetic fields affect the atoms in a certain way. Or as they're going around this rate track, it's just constantly accelerating them. They're picking up speed over time. And it takes a while to really get to that and to get things right. And um, particle accelerator experiments are pretty freaking crazy. Um, they're cool shit. The, the one we have in Virginia is the uh, you know Jefferson particle accelerator. And I don't know. There may be some fancy name for it that some donor got, but the Department of Energy runs experiments out of there. And um, uh, what they end up doing is um, you have these atoms going around a racetrack, and then you can either one you can set up a, 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 a breakaway to where um, this, this things are going on this racetrack, eventually they break off. So something like that. So it's going around and around and around and then all of a sudden it breaks out, right? Well, it's gonna, you could break out and you could put something in the way. So I can put a wall there and it smashed these into um, some stationary things. You could, you know, whatever you'd like to do. I mean, you can test uh, lots of different materials like this too. but. Um, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have um, a, 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 a um, complementary racetrack. And so um, you have something that looks like this. So, uh, and I'll just do a new thing, but you've got, you can imagine you've got another one next to it, another racetrack next to it, where um, it is doing the same sort of thing. And um, they are then going to exit and smash into one another. So something like that. So if you have, one racetrack and another, and then they both shoot out and they collide into one another, and um, that'll give you particle collisions. And uh, there's lots of other ways to do this. Um, that's just a rudimentary, easy way to understand it. Um, but you get these things up to near the speed of light, really high energies, and you smack them into one another, and some crazy shit happens. Um, I was about to say, that seems fairly destructive. Yeah, so you get, to, that's what people were like worried about is you get really, really, really high energies. You're taking really high energies, other energies, and combining them, and you get much, much higher energies. And so, like the uh, 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 the large uh, hadron collider (LHC), um, it's a big particle collider. Like I think that's like Switzerland or Sweden or something. Unless Chuck, by the physics professor, probably smacked me for not knowing, but it's one of the two. And um, you, there's this giant thing, tons of energy in these particles. We're looking to explore new things. They're, they're, look, they're looking for like the um, the carrier of um, uh, of mass. So this, you know, the universal theory of physics is still the golden nugget that people want, and um, they're hoping that the LHC Large Hadron Collider could could get them there. Um, they can discover like the God particle, which they did a few years back, um, or not a few years back. I mean, well, yeah, a few years back on the time scale here we're talking about, and um, it just one of the ways that particles like we didn't know how particles carried mass and so like they found that they're looking for this particle that carried that's responsible for the transport of of, of of mass and so that's what they found with this but when they were setting this up people were really worried about them creating a black hole and you get enough energy in one space you can create that singularity we're talking about um and uh, it's like okay so you create this black hole and then everything sucks into it and you think that this is like some you know yeah, people are worried about this, whatever, like scientists know. But we, 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 it was really hard to like convince that that wouldn't happen. There's lots of questions like this throughout history. When we make an atomic bomb, um, you know, one of the questions that was brought up that was hard to explain um, was, you know, if you create this atomic explosion, uh, could, is it going to like 
cause like solar winter or I'm sorry, uh, atomic winter and like um, burn the atmosphere and then we all die. And not, not just the atomic winter, but like, I think it was one of the things like catch the atmosphere on fire was one of the questions. And um, could it catch the atmosphere on fire and then we're all screwed. And it took some time for scientists had to address this question beforehand. It took some time to really answer and say, no, it's not possible. And the same thing with LHC. People brought this question up, the board members, you know, most people that are like funding this sort of thing aren't scientists. And, um, you know, they've got a, <laughs> they create a black hole and like some crazy shit happens. They got a lot to answer for. And so they had to get this stuff answered. And um, that was a, it was an interesting, like, I remember um, uh, uh, hysteria going on when that was first created. It was the LHC. And that was a question they were worried about. But no, so part of the setup is what's cool is what they've been able to do is look. So it's actually a, like the number one source of data for cosmologists, these people that are trying to understand the universe and the, the history of the universe and how far back in time and trying to measure the, 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 uh, um, the radio background and um, the cosmic ray background. And uh, they, they get a lot of information and data from these particle accelerators, these particle accelerators, excuse me. So one of the things that's so cool, and I'll just cut it off here, um, but one of the things that's so cool is that that I think is cool is these these particle accelerators. Um, when it first started out, I mean, we got pretty high masses, pretty close. To, I'm sorry, pretty, pretty high speeds, um, pretty high energies, and we're able to see like kind of backwards in time. So these cosmologists are trying to understand like the the origin of the universe, the Big Bang, right? This kind of idea. And um, in order to to study the Big Bang, they needed to make their own Big Bangs, these own their own collisions. And as they got better and better and faster and faster throughout time, we started to be able to work back further and further, closer and closer to the Big Bang, the origin of the universe. So that was interesting. It's like these was getting higher and higher energies in the lab, higher and higher particle accelerator speeds. We're able to look further and further back in history and in time and, and understand like the origin of the universe. And I thought that was a cool little correlation. But, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's wild. Yeah, it's interesting. In so many ways. The black so the question about the black hole is the energy that creates a black hole like just out and whatever yeah. like, that comes from what would be like an exploding star essentially a supernova right kind of or is that one way yeah so um, let me think here so I don't think there's a there, there's not necessarily enough energy to you could think of it like that. The, the, the Big Bang itself is such a unique event that just, it's... Just a black hole in general, like when they were worried about them creating the black hole yeah. in the lab. Yeah, that's where there's... Yeah, because the, the, the whole Big Bang thing is there's so much mass and energy in this one singular point, and, um, and all of space is wrapped up into this, and then all of a sudden it explodes and expands and inflates. And this is this... I think it's like the new theory, like inflation theory or something like that. And... Um, and all of this, this weirdness is happening. So the closest relative we have to that today is something like a black hole. Yes. So the closest relative is that, but it's still so, they're still so different. Um, but in order to better understand black hole, the, the big bang theory and all that, yes, we look at black holes and we relate them. And that's where like the mind goes when you say, well, we're going to smash things in at really high speed. You're like, well, but could, could you create a black hole? Cause that's a lot of energy in a very tight point that you create a singularity. And that's a valid concern at, at its face, you know, and then you can go look at it and actually measure, is it possible to create a singularity? And that's what they had to do. But um, 
uh, yeah, that's that's right. It's uh, not inside of stars necessarily, but um, the black holes for sure are analogous to 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 behavior you get when you start smashing things into one another at very high speeds. So is we is it we don't have the capability to smash things together at like to get the energy necessary to create one of those. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So would the caveat then be yet? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, oh, it's you, we we can't create enough energy here on space. I'm sorry, on, on Earth in a lab to do those kinds of things. Uh, we can get damn close, but uh, the caveat is very much the uh, the 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 cloud hanging over our heads is is the yet oh, for geez. sure. Uh, yeah, that's just wonderful. Isn't <laughs> it? Um, yeah, you you get well, scientists well, that say it's not possible to to do it, and we can't create enough energy here on Earth to do that, so it's never going to happen. But I would I would think though, even if we if we had enough energy to create a black hole, then all of us would die in the, the first. Yeah, I mean, anyways. So like, not that we would ever. I mean, the outcome of us is not really. We, well, we'd just be speeding we'd, up anyways. I mean, we're all going to die at some point. You get the ultimate heat death of the universe. That's like an inescapable fact of thermodynamics. So I, mean, I don't know what everyone's so worried about. We're all going to die anyways. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, speaking of co- cosmologists, uh, people that do like thermodynamics and all that sort of stuff, do you so obviously all these worlds and these fields are intertwined by worlds i mean yeah. fields like your world that you live in of quantum physics yeah they're all intertwined in some way shape or form do you work with people from cosmologists or other people from other fields often or are you kind of just like only when you like i guess conferences or whatever the case may be but or do you work with them often um because it's very easy to get wrapped in like we were talking about earlier it's very easy to go in sort of a religious direction or a cosmologist direction like it seems so is it do you kind of sit in your quantum physics world or you you bounce around yeah so good question when i if i had it my way i'd engage with them a lot more because that means that i would be doing a lot more of the fundamental research and so this year um ben baldwin and i is my one of my researchers um he uh who's an all-star by the way he um he and i developed some some theory uh and so we we expanded the quantum mechanics the theory of quantum mechanics to cover some weird behavior we were seeing um so we participated in and actively advanced the theory of quantum mechanics making us theoretical physicists um and and with that, you get some weird shit that happens. Um, and so you get these people that have, that don't need a application. So we have to do, the only reason we get to do it is because I can point to an application and say, let me look at this because, and pay me to do this because I can make, I could possibly get you something better than what you currently have in terms of like a system, like a gun shoot further, whatever. Right. Um, uh, and, and I, but I have to do that. And it's, it's hard to do. Um, but what these guys do is once you start to put out stuff like that, like Parks is putting out stuff about dark energy and retrocausality, that's when you get the cosmologists coming and sniffing around and looking and asking questions. And you know what I mean? Uh, and so, so yeah, so we do engage them every once in a while. So I met Lev Vaidman, um, Yukira Haranov is interested in this foundational fundamental stuff. 
And um, yeah, there's lots of crossover. Um, but um, uh, I, I, we, we don't, we don't get paid to, to, um, uh, you know, think about these philosophical questions because knowing whether or not um, that ball does exist or does not exist before you look at it doesn't give you better sensors and the Navy doesn't give a shit about it. So I don't get to actively work with those guys often, but when you do make good discoveries uh, and do build out good stuff, uh, they do come sniffing around and you do get to engage with them. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Sounds like incentive for you. Just mm-hmm. more shit. <laughs> yeah. You'll get to talk to them. Uh, uh, real quick before we've been talking for almost two hours at this point, And I know oh, it's, really? Friday, it's Friday night. Yeah, man. It's <laughs> Friday night. And I know you're probably super busy, even though yeah. you said you weren't. And I don't really believe you. That's all right. That's <laughs> so, a mess, man. Have you ever watched the big bang theory, the TV show? Yeah. My parents love that. And it was like, whenever they watch it, they were like, uh, uh, well, not always, but you know, I get a text like, "We just watching Big Bang Theory, thinking about you." <laughs> so, all right. So, I have two. I have two questions that are associated with this, and they're the questions are not related, other than the fact that they both stem from that show. Okay. Um, they talk about string theory often. Okay. So, if you want to like describe like describe that a little bit, if you know, I mean, I'm assuming you know something about it. And then the second one is, are the concepts and stuff that they talk about like does I guess. To boil down the question, does the show piss you off because it's unrealistic? Essentially, are the are the two questions? All right, uh, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't I don't know enough about string theory to 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 be able to layman's terms it. I'm I'm familiar with some of the math. Um, I you know, the universe being wrapped up in these little tiny vibrating strings is kind of the idea. Um, it's very hard for me. To, I don't know enough about it to to be able to to go further than that. I tell you this. A couple of years ago, um, so string theory is no longer like the the, the popular um, cosmological, like where the universe came from theory, the unifying theory. String theory is an example of like this unifying, unifying theory thing, right? You're an attempt at it. Right. The, there's a better one now, let's say better, and uh, let's just be careful though, because there's lots of debate in this stuff. Um, but the more popular one now is M theory. Uh, I think it's what's called, but there's variations of this. I think it's like M star or M plus, you know, like it's kind of like a coding language. They upgrade it every once in a while. And um, that's kind of what they're doing with string theory, but it's kind of all based on this, this original piece, but it's very, very, um, it's, it's, I mean, you have to have, you don't have to have any intuition about the physical world to work as a string theorist or, or you know, a, a cosmologist. You, you, you just need, I mean, not like Einstein where he like felt these things, you know, and kind of wrote them down. Um, you, you just need to be very good at abstract math. I mean, to be able to understand and say what this math means is really freaking hard. Uh, and you have to have a, a good, very good, <laughs> a very good brain. Um, and that's what these guys, these string theorists and, and M theorists uh, are, are capable of doing is abstract math and to be able to like say what that means. I mean, once you get into like higher dimensions and things like that, you, you'll see that you, you're, that's where people's brains do start like, hurting you know it's, it's tough um and sure. I, I i unfortunately don't know enough about string theory to be able to describe it in a way but i know it's like talking about vibrating strings of energy and that's what the different universes are and um yeah i i wish i could give you some more I apologize but no, big bang theory question is this i i so 
uh, yeah, it's it's a good show. It's funny. Um, I don't think I've ever been like. I think when I was a kid, how about this? How about this? This is probably a better answer. When I was a kid, when I was younger, I was probably very poo poo, and so that's why I kind of always have like a bad taste. Like, look at that stuff, and I'm like, these aren't these aren't real scientists, and you know, they they kind of make some lame jokes, and um, and they say some stuff, and I'm like super critical, I'm like, oh, this is kind of wrong, you know. They had a real, but in, in truth, Big Bang Theory had a had a good like crew, and I, I've talked to a Professor about this since this. They had a good like science advisor, and they got a lot of things right, and we even had fun and uh, like i was the president of society of physics students school back in the day and uh like we looked through this stuff afterwards you know people sit around and talk about this stuff and it's like cross-reference some of their claims and they're they're right like they would do they would go through good lengths to try to make the science right so i think they did a really good job i've got no problem with it now but i'll tell you this when i was younger uh and i was like you know when, when i thought i was smarter than i was and um you know we're a bit a little arrogant and and uh you start to get into the science world and you feel like, ugh, like you, you don't know that you can't clone something, you know, like you get that arrogance right away and it's stupid as shit, but it's but a lot of people go through it. And I think that I had that when I was first encountering big bang theory. And so I've got a bad taste in my mouth about it, but I grew out of it for sure. It's a good show. Yeah. It did a good job with all the physics. That's what, uh, well, that was my impression of it, obviously, yeah. not being a physicist or anything. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like they had gone to some some effort to make sure they got most some stuff right. It was, it was uh, pretty solid from my understanding. Yeah. All right. What's next for you? Are you still are you still a PhD candidate or have you got it yet? No, so I'm still a candidate. I've got I'm gonna get my so I'm in a PhD program, but I don't even have a master's yet. I should have that this winter. Um, and then I've got to take the qualifying exams and um, move into PhD candidacy with talking about probably weak values and stuff if I stick in it. But I'll tell you what, um, I'm considering just just grabbing a master's and getting out of there. I mean, I am already the team lead for the quantum technologies group at Dahlgren, and I feel like that experience, if if it works out and I can leverage um, uh, good research there, then I can take that experience anywhere with a master's take that experience anywhere and kind of don't need the phd because i'll tell you what if i can do that i mean even the, the one of the smartest men, men men i ever met and most popular men he was actually freeman dyson he trained under dr uh, uh richard Feynman. um he kind of came into this speech it, i listened to him talk and he came into this thing and he said like if you can do all of the research you want to do in life without getting a phd do it and he like shocked the room I mean, this is like people get the phd world is a very good old boy world you know you, you gotta get a phd you know that, that nobody gives a shit like how, how much work like you gotta do it i don't care it's hard work that's what it is and they intentionally make it hard and are like if you if you're like man this is tough that's, okay that's what it is and i'm like well i i, I run a research group like i'm i've got research projects going on there constantly uh, it's a 40 hour job. And then some, especially in certain times of years, like right now, and you know, it's very hard to get all my homework done and stuff and, and still do good research. And it's like, so what, like, that's what it is. It's tough, man. It's a pain in the ass. And I'm constantly, I'm becoming slowly disenchanted with the whole thing. And uh, I think that getting out of there with a master's and reclaiming my life back, um, uh, and, 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 and as long as I can still achieve all of the professional research goals that I want to achieve, which I think I can, if I can't, if I realize I can't, then yeah, I'll go back. But if I can, which I think I can um, run this lab and you know, kind of my, my goal is to, to, to continue to, to run a research group 
put out good research and engage with and mentor like good scientists coming up. Um, and, uh, I, I, I also want to be able to like, you know, kind of advise a little bit too. So science advisement is something I'm interested in as well, which doesn't require a PhD masters and a ton of experience get, get you in the door running a lab. You gotta have a PhD. I run a very small lab, a very small group. And it just kind of like fell into my lap when Dr. Parsh retired. And um, we've been under the radar, or I'm sorry, uh, we've been under the microscope a lot since he left. And um, they're looking at me like, You're, you better get this PhD, you need to, in order to be able to be in this role. And um, I've been in the role for a while now, and I feel like we're doing pretty good. And if we continue to do pretty good, and I got a master's, you know, I don't necessarily see why I need a PhD. So that's what I'm hoping for. I think I'm going to take a little bit of a break. That's my goal, or what, what, that's where I'm at right now. That may change. I'm kind of second guessing it. I kind of, I'm like, yeah, I might as well just get a PhD. So I don't know. I'm day to day on that one. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Especially if you're feeling that way about, you feel like you can get all the research you want to without it and stuff. Academic world is a very, it wasn't for me, but yeah. definitely the people that I know that stayed in it, like um, Dr. Chris, who he was on episode 40, uh, got his PhD in immunology and then yeah i saw a little bit of that yeah so it's definitely the people that stay in it that i know are super bright and i think i don't know it's it was always meant to be a good thing and i think it still is for for the most part but there's been some i'll say warping of how it actually works i feel like at least from yeah. what i've heard but there's a deeper know. conversation in there for sure it is 100%. Look at this. We were supposed to talk about so many things, and we <laughs> spent two hours talking about only only quantum physics. Right, that's fine. So you'll have to come back at some point. All right. When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm maybe more successful and stuff, I can give you – we can look back at this conversation and try to give an update. Yeah, that would be great. I really appreciate yeah. uh, the time that you spent. Um, I know you're super busy and all sorts, but it was great having you on. And, yeah. Any saved rounds? Yeah, man. Hopefully, I see you. Uh, see you out there on the pitch here soon. Yeah, I hope we'll have to make it happen. We'll have to get your hip better, and then uh, yeah, yeah. get out there. Yeah, man. All right, it was great having you, and we will see you guys next time. Peace. <laughs>